we can come to God and we say, God, you do it, you do it, God. There's a moment in the Psalms where there's 15 Psalms and God is calling His people to come up to His throne. He's calling them up. It's called the Song of Ascents. And they start like this, Psalm 120, I call on the Lord in my distress. I call. Then Psalm 120, I lift my eyes to the hills. Then Psalm 122, I rejoiced. And it keeps going on. Worship starts with us. It starts with us responding. It starts with us calling on. It starts with us doing something. Calling, shouting, screaming His name, crying out in the depths of our soul to Him. Worship starts with us. So when, so, so when we come on a Sunday, I would encourage you as we come together, as God is teaching us worship, as the Spirit of God is revealing what it is to worship the living God, give yourself to worship. Lift your eyes. Rejoice. Make decisions to, to come in because it really is an incredible privilege that we have to worship Him at this time. We get a little taste of heaven every time we come together and every time you sing in the shower, it can be exactly the same. We, I just want to say hello to two friends. The first one, Mishy Jones, Durban's best builder who relocated to Cape Town. So there's a dearth of good building in Durban. It's just buildings are falling down, just crumbling. But he's living in Cape Town. It's really cool to see you, my mate. And Peter and Sandy Mayowe. There's Peter, I don't see Sandy. But uh, they're down from, from the great province of KwaZulu-Natal. Just an amazing thing. You know, you do church with people for years and years. Sandy must have been in our home group for four years. Maybe I'm cutting it short. Five years. Something like that. And I don't know if you've ever had people in your home every week for five years, ten years, twelve years. But every now and again you, send, you get sent a gift. Someone who, who not, doesn't come to your house just to take and use your toilet paper. Yes. And, and drink your coffee and, and leave it a mess and hit and run. Sometimes you get sent an angel. And they come and they, 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 you tell them to leave and they stay. Because they're cleaning the dishes and they are making sure your house is in order and the way it was. And, and Sandy Black, now Maya, was that person for us. And a very, very special, I know she's probably with the kiddies. But a very, you, you've got a very special girl there, buddy. So really cool to have you guys with us this morning. So we, um, we are continuing the series now that Easter has passed. What happened to you, Gabe? Huh? No hobbits preaching this morning. We are, we are carrying this series, but God. And what we are looking at is, is God breaking in, and he writes this letter. He gets his apostle Paul, and through Paul, he writes this letter to the church in Ephesus, and it's a church doing well. Remember, we spoke about the church. We discussed real people. They're doing well, and he's calling them to more. He's calling them to a greater revelation of the glory of this king. He's calling them to a higher walking out of this thing. It's incredibly beautiful. And we see, we see God breaking and we see him revealing truths like redemption and his love and his grace. And he's calling them saints. He's doing all of this in this book. And we're going to carry on with this this morning. But I'm so encouraged by the stories I'm beginning to hear. Sat with an incredible man this week who's walked for many years and he's wrestling grace and and. He's wrestling freedom. And I love pe when people take a hold of the world and say, I want more of that. Yeah. It's amazing. It was an incredible thing. I don't know the man personally, but I heard after we preached on adoption two weeks ago, a man was here first time in church for many years and had married a woman but never adopted her child that she brought into the marriage. Next day began the proceedings of adopting that little girl. And, and to me, that is just, we're starting to see the kingdom of God breaking through. Amazing stories of of. of just men reconciling with their children of years of absence. This is the kingdom come. 
This is what it starts to look like. It's sudden meetings of men reconciling where there were differences and, and men and women sitting in a room and reconciling it with humility and honor. That's the kingdom come. And uh, it's very, very exciting. And I'm carrying on this morning and I was going to move on to redemption, but I really felt to, to hold out and to hang on the, this issue of the doctrine of adoption for one more, one more day. Can we do that? And... My hope, again, like last time, is that, that really you would be convinced of God's personal, passionate love for you, and particular love for you. Honestly, there are just too many people who think God is tolerating them. And when it's good, it's good. And when it's good, we don't think about it. But when it's bad, we realize, God's just tolerating me, so I've got to do more to achieve more. And that's the biggest lie the enemy gets into the church. God is not tolerating you. I said last week, the measure of his love, the degree of his love is, is not set just at your worth. It is set at his love, which is huge, which we cannot fathom and we cannot understand. And it's that love that draws us in. And that's love that determines what grace is, the measure of grace. And we're going to be jumping into grace in a few weeks' time. God is not frustrated with you. He's not disappointed. And, and he put this process into motion. Adoption is not a plan B to God's purposes. You know that? And he did great things with men who were adopted. Moses was adopted by Pharaoh into that household. Jesus' own father, Joseph, had to adopt him. It wasn't his natural son. So he's a God who knows what it is. And he says, actually, I will die a death for my brothers and sisters. You know the Bible says Jesus is your brother because we have a father. And God is revealing these truths to us. And it's this incredible bigger truth that we are not just freed slaves, we are adopted sons and daughters. Yeah, come on. Called into a household, called into be loved, called into a room that is set up for us by a father who designed it that way. It's very cool. Yeah. And I want to challenge us this morning, because as I've been preparing this, I realize there's a lot of this in me. But I challenge us as we looked at the doctrine, the big doctrine of adoption last week, I challenge us this morning to to leave some of our orphan ways behind. And we're going to talk about that this morning, but I'd like to show a video that um, I encountered just recently. It's about six minutes long, but it tells a story of an adoption process of a, a very unique family in America. So can we have that video, and then we'll carry on. Thanks. It's just, uh, we come this morning, Father, just say thank you. Just, um, you're exploding our hearts, you're revealing this great love that we sing about, that we try to comprehend, and we fall short most of the time. But I pray God explode a revelation in all of us of your great love this morning, King. That you reached out, that you predestined, that you would adopt, that it was your will and your pleasure, God, to adopt us. We worship you this morning, King. Worship you this morning, King. Why I find that video so profound is I think the reason that this doctrine is so put aside and not elevated possibly to the point it should be in the church is because most of us don't realize how deformed we came. We don't realize the impact of sin really is deformity. We get conformed to the ways of the world and the result is conformity. And that's why the grace of God and the love of God has to break in and transform us. To strip those deformities out. So when we see a kid with one leg and no arms, we see a young man playing a piano with his toes, we think, oh, deformed. We get that. 
We see how great that cost is. We see how great that love is. This is not an emotional response. This is a truth of the gospel. This is the gospel. Right there, that picture is the gospel. He predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Christ Jesus in accordance with his pleasure and his will. Your adoption and his reaching into your life is his pleasure. And it is his will. And it's amazing. And that's why we look at this truth and we understand the significance of moving from a place where we live like orphans to living how he's called us into that life. See, those kids can keep me. I'm just a Romanian kid. I just... No one loved me. We can stay there. or We can move into what God has called us to, into the security, the significance, the identity, the patience, the trust, the faithfulness, all these things that we would live for others and that he's God put us in a family, that he would strip some of the opposites of that out of us and call us in. It's an amazing thing. William Barclay says, when people are adopted in Roman times, when they understood adoption, because it was a massive thing in the time, And when someone was adopted, it came with many terms. It wasn't just a light thing. The first thing is that they lost all rights of their old family and they gained all the rights of the new family. All the rights. Whatever was, whatever was, is gone. We have a, I was involved um, with a home in Durban called the Tembeletu. I've mentioned it before. And um, some amazing stories of little kids coming from, most of them from HIV background, some of them with HIV. And there was a young man named Doozy. He's three years old, three and a half. And um, it's not very popular for a three and a half year old HIV positive child to get adopted. It doesn't really happen that often. We have two million adoptable kids in our country. So a three and a half year old, neglected, HIV positive kid doesn't get adopted very easily. And a family came from America, and they came to visit our church, and we took them to visit the home, and they fell in love with Doozy. And, um, hmm, sorry. And uh, what they do in this home is they um, get the family to send photos of the home he's going to. And for four to six weeks, they take that photo album, and every day they take that photo album, and they show him pictures of his future brothers and sisters. They show him his granny and grandpas. They show him the home. They show him the suburbs. They show him the schools he's going to go to. And he looks and he begins to understand that everything that was is gone. And this photo album is a picture of his life now. It can't be taken away. See, William Barclay says in those days, when you, be, when you were orphaned, you became an heir to everything that was. Even if they had sons and daughters afterwards, you still were given the inheritance by law. By law, it couldn't take it away. By law, the old life of the adopted person was completely taken away. Whatever debt they had, whatever debt that was owed, when they were adopted, that was completely taken away from them. We have to understand these things because when Paul is writing to the Ephesians church, they are processing it through these lenses. It's not a light and flippant thing, a nice thing to do in a world where there are lots of orphans. And it says, in the eyes of the law, he was absolutely the son or daughter. Absolutely. There was no out clause. Absolutely. This is the package of Christianity. This is the package. That's why Jesus, when he says in, Philipp, in, in, in John 14, verse 8, he says, Jesus, show us the Father and that'll be enough for us. Because everything Jesus was doing was showing us the Father. 
Every time he healed, he was revealing a father who fixes. But most of the world knows father as someone who destroys. Father as someone who leaves. Father as someone who breaks. And Jesus comes to the world and says, watch me and I'll reveal the father. I will go to the broken and I will go to the lost and I will fix. And I will make whole because fathers fix, they don't break. We have a world of orphans who think that fathers break. So God breaks into this world because he breaks into a planet of orphaned people. People with no peace. Where brothers killed brother, striving to get ahead. Identity crisis is all over the world. And the reality is that orphans are very rarely able to receive affection and love because of a history. And Jesus breaks into all of our lives 2,000 years ago on that cross that we spoke about that nothing would remain, nothing of our past, not our debts. When we come to Christ, He heals us. And it changes everything and it changes our perspective. A man, Mark Stibby, wrote this. Um, It means that there is no bigger, no one bigger than our dad. It's quite a thing for a guy to say, doozy was thrown out on the streets. He had nothing. It says, it means that there's no one bigger than our dad. He reigns, he rules, and he rocks. He flung stars into space. He fashioned the blazing sun and deep lagoons of cloud and cluster. He created the planets, the constellations, and the galaxies. He conceived the Milky Way, the Helix Nebula, and the Pleiades. Those are six stars. I had to look them up. If you didn't know what they were, they needed to die. So we're all on the same page. He made the bubbles and the arcs and the nebulae and the auras. He painted super, he paints supernovas in effervescent colors and stellar jets and iridescent glory. He outthinks the physicist and he dazzles the theologian. He preoccupies the astronomer and inspires the poet with abundant wonder. He is beyond the reach of the Hubble telescope or the probing range of any orbiter. He is what Einstein called the superior reasoning power and the Bible calls the father of heavenly lights. He is my dad. He is your dad. Our dad who is in heaven, the third heaven who dwells in an unapproachable light and who will one day make his home with us on this tiny dot called earth. This is my father. And he reached into me a deformed, broken, where sin had corrupted. He reached in and he says, I want you to come into my home. I will pay the price. I will pay the debt. And I will pull you in and I will call you son. And you get all the rights you are heir. And we go, wow. And to be honest, most of the time we live a little overwhelmed, so we don't know how to respond. I was talking to the ladies who used to show Doozy those photos every day. And at first, he, he had no idea what, that look, what it was. First of all, it was way more white people than he'd ever seen in his life. So he had to get used to that. And then there were big houses, and there were rooms. And there weren't six kids sleeping in one room. And they had a picture that said, your room. And... Uh, I just, I get sad when I see people who are walking with the Lord for years and years and years who've never got this concept. I do get sad because I can be honest with you. I said, I had an amazing earthly father. I can't make excuses for that. I can't. Both his parents died alcoholics. He had no reason to be a good father. He grew up in boarding school and the only time he would leave were on holidays when mates would invite him to their home. Otherwise, he would stay the whole holiday in boarding school. He had no reason to be a good father. Nothing. 
but he found Jesus. When I was age two years old, and all I've known is a good father. I don't remember being punched in anger. I don't. So for me to understand the father is a good father is easier for me. I know that. For some of you, it's more difficult. This is where we have to let the word of God get into our deformities, our brokenness, where we have to realize that the God, the father of heaven is a fixer, not a breaker. The father of heaven is a restorer, is a healer. So we watch Jesus. He says, watch me and you'll see the Father. We watch Jesus. We see him heal the broken. We see him go into the most broken places because he's revealing the heart of the Father. I don't know why I'm stuck on that point. Augustine said the entire Bible could be encapsulated in a single sentence. If the entire Bible could be encapsulated in a single sentence, it would cry out like the resounding waves of the sea, the Father loves you. The Father loves you. The whole Bible. Or surely, Mark, it's the, the Ten Commandments. Surely. Surely it's healing. It's all about healing. No. In revealing the Father, in, re, in a revelation of the Father, there's a great revelation of who we are. That's why God deals with it. That's why Jesus does it. He says, look at me, see the Father, and you will see who you are. Disciples, you will see who you are, children of God. And the brokenness falls away. The brokenness falls away. See, in the challenges we live, they spoke about it in a world where different things get celebrated. Actually, the orphan response gets celebrated. The guy who works harder, calls over people, strives over people, breaks other people's careers so he can get ahead. And everyone looks at his bank balance and no one looks at his wife who's broken, lost, and children left behind. No one looks, but they celebrate the man. We're the sports people. We celebrate them in society. But behind are trails of brokenness and all sorts of stuff. Not everyone, but many. And we have to get a lens that is biblical. We have to get a lens that is godly. A lens that is a kingdom lens. A lens that is higher than my understanding. A lens that is the Father. And Jesus revealing the Father to me. It's an incredible thing. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His, of His being. That's Jesus. And it's so important that we get these things because otherwise we respond and we treat Poorly. Let's look at discipline, for example. You know that there's discipline in the Bible. Yes, for children, but also for people walking, adults. There's, there's a discipline process. At the very center of that thing is not punishment. At the very center is not a philosophy where you, sometimes you've got to break the bone so it builds back stronger. And you hear all these thinkings. That go through and they play in our mind at the very heart of discipline is healing and wholeness. Yeah. And fathers, we've got to get this better. We respond in anger. We respond in our own embarrassment because our kids did something crazy. I do it. We all do it. And we say crazy things. I remember coming on holiday with friends years ago, many, many years ago, and and my friend and I went out, we messed up, and we had to get picked up at two in the morning. Don't ask what we were doing. Just stop thinking. We had to be picked up at two in the morning by his parents, and his dad pushed up, and he just started lambasting him. 
He just started, if he could have been punched, he was punching him with every word. I'm sitting in the car, I just wanted to crawl into the back seat. And I remember he said this line, if you could only just be more like Mark. And I look, well, you don't really know. But he said that to his son. And everything inside of me broke. Because deformity was being put into my friend. See, and it's an amazing thing. Ephesians tells us in Ephesians 3, it says, For this reason I bow my knee before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. So I'm not just going to adopt you, but leave you with your name. Just in case you misrepresent me. Stu, I'm not going to just leave you as Stu, and, and we'll know that you're the son of God. But Stu, you carry on until you get your life right. Because you're a young man, you're probably going to make some more mess-ups. So when you're 30, 40, 60, when you've got it all right, then you can have my name. He says, we derive our name from the Father. So my name is Mark van Pletsen. I inherited the van Pletsen part. Apparently pirates on the Rhine, if you wanted to know. That's where they come from. No one knows, really. But I was given Mark Carl. Carl is the second name of my father. Mark is the name they chose to call me. See, we inherit a history when we get adopted because our surname gets changed. Doozy's surname is now Howerton. Howerton. Very American. But with that, he gets an inheritance. With that, he inherits a Howerton story, not a broken doozy story. He gets taken into a new world with a new story. He inherits the story, but God gives him and gives us a name. The Father gives us a new name. He gives us a future. In adoption, we inherit a past that is in him. And some of your stories, I've heard parts of they're horrendous. But it's in him. It's in Jesus. That's called grace. That's called love. That's called the bigness of our God. And he gives you a future. Ongoingly, see through the Bible, he renames people. And the whole purpose of Christ coming to this world was, yes, for salvation. Yes, that they would know. Yes, there would be an option out. But to restore orphans back to the love of the Father, I believe. That we would no longer have to fight for meals at the table in case tomorrow's meal didn't come. Because the Bible says the Father will provide. And we don't need to strive and we don't need to hold and we don't need to be jealous. Let's look at jealousy for an issue, for an example. Jealousy, all jealousy amongst brothers, because it happens in the church. It's throughout the Bible and it happens in the church. All jealousy is we've taken our eyes off what the Father has for us and put our eyes on the portion He has for someone else. It's a deformity. Just deformity that God needs to heal. He says we are heirs of God. Incredible truth. We don't really know what an heir means. There's no big inheritance coming down. I told you, I'm most trusting there's some dying auntie somewhere in the world that has Van Pletsen on her name and chooses to leave billions, but it's not happening. But if I said to you, I'm an heir of Richard Branson, you would know what that means. Speedboats and helicopters and... Dodgy kite surfing photos, and you would know what that means. If I said I'm the heir of the Sultan of Brunei, you know what that means. But what does it mean to be an heir of the Father? What does it mean to be an heir of God? The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the He who is above all. What does that mean? We struggle. 
And so we have to come into the Word, and we need the Spirit of God to lead us. And why is it so important? Why do we have to leave our orphan ways behind and step into sonship? Because the whole of creation, Romans 8, is crying out for the sons of God to be revealed. And it's important that Colin is revealed as the son of God. Now, it's one thing him knowing he's a son of God, but if he walks around in his orphan ways, nothing changes and the sons aren't revealed. And the daughters of God aren't revealed. And there's an impact on the mission that he's called us to. So we preach the gospel in truth and we call people to live the lives of sonship. Not a moralistic kingdom. Jesus didn't plant and didn't, didn't preach a moralistic kingdom. He called us into sonship. He was calling his brothers and sisters home. Full of freedom. And there's this incredible, I was going to show the Oliver Twist little setup as he goes and asks for more. But it's this incredible picture of, of all these orphans sitting down and Oliver's getting up and he's walking to go ask the master who's standing with a stick for more and all the other kids are looking down because they're a little bit embarrassed for him because they know he's going to get clipped. And no, no, you don't ask for more because orphans don't ask for more. You get one bowl in the morning, one in the evening, that's it. And he goes up and he gets, he gets smacked by the master and they, the master runs into the, the hall of all the, the masters of the orphanage and they're all eating their lavish food and they're saying, he asked for more? It's because sons understand there's always more in the father's house. Sons understand the concept that he says, actually in my house there are many rooms. They understand the concept that in, my, in the father's house there is a lavish table. A lavish table. It breaks into our heart. It breaks our deformities. And we get these privileges. When I was young, a business, my, my parents owned a hotel. And, and, and they, it had this big kitchen. It was, a, it was a residential hotel. People would stay there, eat three meals a day. And my favorite thing to do would be to go down to the hotel at about four o'clock in the afternoon and, and go, and I could go anywhere because my name was Van Pletsen. I could go anywhere. I even convinced them once to put the ladder up to the roof of the building, so climb, because my name was Van Pletsen. <laughs> but the chef's name was Tulani. And Tulani knew that the first thing I did when I arrived at the hotel was walk into the kitchen. And he said to me, we got custard today. Because I love custard. And he would go to the custard thing and it had been sitting for a while because of the good stuff, not that box stuff. And there would be that skin, you know that film on top. And he would take the whole thing and put it in a bowl just for me. I was the only kid, no other kid could even walk in the kitchen. No other kid could even get to the entrance. But because my name was Van Pletsen, I could walk into the kitchen. I could go right up to the chef and say, can I have that? And he would give it to me. We've got to understand what it means to be sons of God. We've got to understand what it means to be heirs of the Father. And it strips off the smallness. It strips off the insecurities. It brings freedom and space to the deformities. And we begin living in the freedom and life and the peace that he's called us to live in. Not strategies, not ten ways to live free. It'll last for two days. Not ten ways I'm going to read my Bible for the next days. No, just a revelation of who you are. And that's what Ephesians is doing for us. And he's calling orphans back to understand him. Jack Frost wrote, um, wrote this, The orphan spirit is not something you can cast out because it is ungodly beliefs and or attitudes of our flesh that have been developing over a lifetime. 
It has become part of our personality and character. It must be displaced or put to death by a personal experience in the Father's love and a revelation of the spirit of sonship. This will require a repositioning of our lives. And I'm telling you, as I read those scriptures of the Song of Ascent, every time we come to worship, every time we decide we will worship, oh, my soul, be lifted up. When we decide we will lift our soul to the King of Kings, we are repositioning our lives to receive sonship. We are repositioning our lives to understand the wonder and the splendor and the glory of what it is to be a son or daughter of the living God. And we're not just doing church and wondering, why is it so hard, Pastor? Why? I decided I was going to read my Bible and I had a whole reading plan on Monday, but Wednesday I hadn't read a thing. Why is it so hard? Well, shake off all that stuff. Just shake it off. Shake off the stuff. Get back to God and say, God, reveal who you are. And we begin to live it out. (laughs) See, there's only two ways of knowing God. Origin said. The first one is sonship. The second one is servitude. The first one is God is my father. The second one is God is my master. And I don't have time to work through a whole bunch of things. I wanted to work through all this stuff. But God is wanting to establish our sonship in heaven. And to, be a demonst- to see it demonstrated and experienced here on earth. These are not concepts that you're banking up for one day when we get to heaven. You're going to see it at this table. Too much of the church. Read the Bible like that. I've got my fire insurance. I'm going to get into heaven one day. And then I'm going to sit at the table. Then I'm going to experience this love that you talk about, Mark. Because surely it's for someone else. Because I haven't experienced yet. And I'm asking you, sir and ma'am, your experience brings deformity. A revelation brings the love of God. Brings freedom. And a touch of the King of Kings. And I just want to speak about a few things because I know we won't be able to get you... Back here, but can we have slide number nine, please? And I want to talk about a few things. And what we've done is we've printed out these things. I'm going to ask you to take them home. A whole list of things. It's not my list. It's that guy, Jack Frost, that quote I wrote from his book. And he put this list together. He said, well, this is just characteristics of someone living by the spirit of an orphan or someone living by the spirit of sonship. And as we go through this and as I go through this, I see, oh, e." Because we've got to see it. We don't see our own deformity. That guy playing piano with his toes knows he's deformed. The problem is we come to the cross, we get revealed, and we forget that we came to the cross deformed. Because sin had gotten and brought chaos. So we come to the cross and say, Father, you've healed, you made whole. Now fix my ways, fix some of these things. We just touch on some of these things. Let's look at theology. When we are an orphan, we live by the love of law. Legalism is a characteristic of orphan behavior. And when we're a son, we live by the law of love. We understand the greatness of God. We come into this place and we understand that it's not just by me doing it right. If I do everything right, the master is going to give me more. No, we understand like sons, we can come to the father and say, Father, can I have more? Can I have more of your presence? Can I have more of your goodness? Because I am a son. I don't know if we're doing it right or wrong, but my boy, Ben, knows how to ask for more. He had two breakfasts at home the other day. I brought him to school, and I was meeting Jardinian, and he had another two bowls of porridge. He knows what more is. Let's just look. Need Need for approval. Orphans continue to strive for praise, approval, and acceptance. 
Sons are accepted in God's love, justified by grace. Sir, ma'am, in humility, I come and I ask you, do you need approval all the time? Do you need, do you continually find you are striving in your relationships? Are you striving? Even with your wife, your husband? Do you have to strive to prove? Do you have to strive? When you're serving, are you striving? I'm telling you, it's because of an orphan reality. Yes, we work. Yes, we do good works. And we're going to speak about how grace, the relationship between grace and works. And we'll understand how grace breaks into our life and frees us up for great works for the king. But the reason we do them is what God wants, our heart, to know. Is this making sense? Is this too formulaic? Just, I think it's really helpful. Well, let's look at motive for purity. And, and an orphan says, well, I must be holy because it's God's favor. And if I'm not holy, I've got this increase in guilt and shame. Sorry, it's cut off there. I don't know what that is. And, um, but a son says, actually, he, I want to be holy. He's already imputed his righteousness to, but I want to be holy. I want to live to please him. Ephesians speaks about later in the book about living to please him. Ephesians 5. Is God the master you must be holy for? Or is God the father you want to live for? Because he broke into your mess. He said, actually, I want that mess. That's why we keep going back to the cross. That's why times like Easter are good to remember. To remember what he did. To remember the fullness and the fullness that he fully satisfied our death so he could fully satisfy us in life. This is not a prosperity gospel. This is an understanding of sonship. Intrinsic to the gospel. And if it's something like self-image, self-rejection from comparing, always comparing, always struggling with others, always struggling. When people succeed, we feel the need to pull them down. It's often behavior. I've done it. You learn to talk in many places. And as a short kid at a big school, it's either learn to use your mouth or back into the corner. And I chose the former. And I had a tongue on me that could rip strips of people in the nicest possible way. And God had to get a hold of that deformity and turn the very thing that broke people down into the very thing that I trust and pray heals. He's got to get into our orphanness. What about our peer relationships, how we deal with people, competition, rivalry, and jealousy, or is it humility and unity? Do we celebrate our brothers? Do we celebrate our brothers? Do we celebrate their successes? And it's hard. A friend of mine is in Derbs, and he is flying. He's leading a church, and he has favor. Money's just come from all over. They can just do anything they want as a church. And, and am I SMSing, hey, that's wonderful. Am I going, hey, God, do more. Give more to them. It's this real, guys. Two or three more. The next page. How do we handle others' faults? Do we make them look bad or do we seek to restore them? Because God is a restorer. I'm talking about your bosses who've let you down for year after year and then they fall and then they make a mistake. Oh, this is my chance to mess them up. This is my chance to expose them. No, sir. No, ma'am. Orphan. This is your chance to love them. This is your chance to reveal the love of God. This is your chance to, like Noah's children, walk backwards and cover their nakedness. Christian or not. Right or not. 
How do you receive admonition? How do you receive correction? When someone corrects you, a brother in the church, I want to tell you the way you spoke to your wife is out of hand. And they're doing it out of love and you knew it, but you fight back. Or do you go, thank you? I saw a brother give another brother quite a hard conversation this week. It was one of the best conversations I've been in. And if that man will receive it, if that man will say, God, do everything that is of you in, this, in my heart. He'll walk into space like never before because we need the admonition of our brothers. Not just someone in hierarchy, not someone in leadership. My brother. Where Leon walks up to me and says, Mark, I saw you talk to your kids when you're putting them in the car. I want to tell you they were too harsh. I need that. You need that. We need that. And the last one, the future. Are we fighting for what we can get? Is your career your fight to get ahead so you can please God? Was your future in God? And all you do is you work hard not to get ahead. You get hard. You work hard to please Him. You work hard to give Him glory for the gift things He's given you. It's this real. Because salvation breaks in and doesn't want to just change our eternal destiny. It wants to change our now reality. And heaven starts touching earth. And you know who will realize it first? Your husband or wife, your children, and then those closest to you that normally receive the brunt. I'd like us just to take a moment. We're just going to... Gabe, will you jump up? We just need to respond. Is that all right? Sometimes the gospel just gets in. It gets in our hearts. And we, we're just going to take five more minutes just to respond. If you're a believer here, we're going to leave, I'm going to ask them to leave some of those lists up. Tyler, maybe you can, just those two pages. Maybe say, God, maybe there's some of that in me. I'm telling you as I look at that, there's a lot of that in me. And, and we just got to repent, which doesn't mean, Father, it just means, God, I'm turning to your ways. We've got to forgive those who've contributed to our orphan ways. You want to walk free of your orphan ways, you've got to forgive. Parents that have hurt you, leaders that have let you down. Ongoingly, time and time again. Not just tolerate them. God doesn't tolerate us, so we can't tolerate others. We have to forgive. And then ask God to father us. It's a big thing. Especially for a man or woman who doesn't know the love of a father, to walk to a man alone, let alone God, and say, God, father me, where you would fix, you would bring wholeness. Can we stand together? And if you're here this morning, and you say, I haven't put my love in Jesus, I haven't put my trust in Jesus. We just bow our heads for a minute, please. You say, I haven't put my trust in Jesus. That's cool. You're in the perfect place. This is the perfect day to start the walk of healing. Love just to give an opportunity to receive this love of the Father. I don't know your situation or story, sir or ma'am. I don't know what you need today, tomorrow. I don't know what deformities you bring here today. Some we can see, some we can't see. I don't know. But I know the source of life. I know the way, the truth, and the life that is Jesus who reveals the Father this morning. 
And I'd love to call you to receive that love this morning. Is there anyone here this morning? Why don't you just lift your hand? I'd love to pray with you. Someone at the back there, that's cool. Anyone else? Just say, I haven't received this great love. Thank you, sir. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, ma'am. There's a number of people around. Thank you. I'm just going to pray with you now, Father. Thank you that you are the greatest dad this world's ever known. Thank you that you would sacrifice, you would send your love to die, that my deformities can fall away and wholeness and healing comes. Thank you for every hand lifted. Thank you for every heart raised up to you now. I pray bring wholeness now, bring freedom now, God. Do it quickly, God. Do it quickly, God. That your grace would flood in. I pray for a revelation of your grace right now, God. Revelation of your grace. If you put your hands up, can you put your hands up again? I'd love to just, just the people around, just, just pray, pray for these people. Just pray grace and love and abundance over them now. There's a lady there behind you, Warren. Just pray grace and abundance and love right now. Freedom now. That you would know freedom. It is tangible. It is real. It is not a concept. It is not a good idea. It is not a way of living. Freedom is Jesus. Freedom is found in Jesus today for you. Thank you, Jesus. And I pray for believers here. Maybe you look at this list. Maybe you see yourself on the other side of that thing. I just ask you right now, just say, Father, I repent. I turn to your ways. But you can't do that alone. You've got to forgive some of the people involved that affected that, contributed. Got to, got to forgive. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. We just got to do it. We're going to sing a little bit and then we're going to close the meeting. But maybe keep your eyes closed. Maybe you don't even have to sing. Just say, Father, there's stuff here for me. We have to respond. He's calling us to more, which means we've got to shake off the trailers, the baggage. We've got to shake off the lies. We've got to shake off the deformities. They're just lies. And say, Father, I want freedom today. Thank you, King.